Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, Dr. Eric Russell and I continue our servant leadership discussions, this week exploring the connection between a commitment to the growth of people and servant leadership. Dr. Eric Russell, welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, good to have you back again, my friend, uh, as we continue our servant leadership series. Today, we'll be discussing commitment to the growth of people and the connection with servant leadership. And it's uh, something I know we both feel very strongly and passionately about. Um, Before we do that, though, just a reminder to anyone who's joining us who may not have uh, connected with our previous Uh, episodes in this series. Uh, We've now done upwards of 15 plus episodes in the Servant Leadership series uh, spanning back through last summer. And uh, Dr. Eric Russell and I uh, have been having some fun conversations. Uh, Dr. Russell is an HCI research associate and associate professor of emergency services at Utah Valley University. And you can go back and find any of those previous episodes in our back catalog by going to innovativehumancapital.com slash podcast. And then you can click on the, uh, the, the by topic tab at the top and find all of our podcast episodes sorted into different uh, categories, including the servant leadership series. All right. As we get started today, um, you know, I think about Larry Spears and his, um, the characteristics of servant leadership that he identified. And one of those core uh, characteristics was commitment to the growth of people. So in your mind, Eric, why do you think that is a foundational component to servant leadership? And then we can discuss more about how that can play out in the real world and in organizations as we lead others. So, I had, it's funny, I had this, I had this dude, I can't remember the university he was at, he was a professor there and he was at a conference and I guess they were talking about my work and he sent me an email about all of this stuff and he's like, I just want to know what is, um, what is Eric Russell's definition of what it means to be a servant leader and I I spent some time on it to write up this smart paragraph and all of this stuff. And I, I edited it and I went back and I used big words and it was awesome. I thought. And so I sent it to him and this, he sent me an email back and he said, I thought your work said was the essence of servant leadership is to meet the needs of people. And I went, damn it. Yeah, that's what it is. So, I, I, so I'm curious. Yeah. So, so when you were pontificating in your big uh, flowery paragraph, what were some of the other things you focused on? If you oh, remember, 
just, I, I, you know, I talked about what some of the stuff that we talked about last week about the benefits to both the leaders and the followers, the intrinsics and the tangibles and how it, 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 it is an inner relationship with people and all of this kind of stuff as how both grow, you get your followers to self-actualize. Like it was just complete and not a crap, you know, when you really think about it, because servant leadership is really, really simple. It's meet the needs of followers so that they can succeed. And then when they succeed, you benefit. Like, that's it. That's servant leadership, right? And that's, that's why the cornerstone of servant leadership, if you're going to really get down to it and you, and you pull out the three pragmatic questions that Greenleaf first posed to us in 1970, it really is about a commitment to the, to the, the growth of people. Because the idea is when you meet people's needs, they grow. And I don't mean you meet them with a tray of brownies every day so they grow wider. It's that you meet the needs of people so they actually grow better. They grow, they grow to be something more than they were yesterday, tomorrow, you know. And, and you remove the roadblocks and the pitfalls that hold so many, so many people back. And when Spears was going through it, and you got to remember Larry Spears, even though he's up at Gonzaga, which is a, a Catholic university, Spears is a Quaker. And he is so versed in, in, in Quaker theology and, and, and philosophy. And so when, when he went through Greenleaf's work, um, man, he just, he went at it like that. And that was one of the things that just jumped out at him was this whole uh, commitment to the growth of people, because that goes right back to the very, one of the three pragmatic questions that Greenleaf asks is, do your people grow? And so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a cornerstone and it, it gets over, it gets overlooked a lot because it seems too simplistic. You know, it's kind of that, I always screw this word up. It's Laura Parsimony, I think, you know, Occam's razor, the simplest is always the, the right answer. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if I said that word right, but you know what I mean? You're smarter than me. Parsimony. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. The law of parsimony. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I, I think, you're right. It's, it's a, it's a relatively simple notion that as a leader, we should try to, we, we should be committed to the growth of our people. Uh, that, that growth isn't just professional growth, though certainly within the workplace, that's probably our number one focus of, sure. of how they can succeed and grow as a professional in their career, in their skill sets, capabilities, competencies, but, it, but we can't leave out the personal either because they're interconnected. And if we have someone who's deeply struggling in their personal life, uh, it's, it's going to, to overlap and, and feed over into their professional life. And so, so meeting the needs of people and, and helping people to grow necessarily means we have to know our people and we have to do what we can to help them in both areas, the, the, the personal and the professional. And uh, it also, in my mind, it means, you know, we, we can do training programs, we can do gap analysis, we can um, look at developmental needs of our people. Um, I think all of that's good. I think all of that's important. I'm an HR professor, so I believe, you know, in effective training and development programs and mm-hmm. making sure that they match with core objectives and so on and so key forth. Per- key performance indicators. Oh, yeah. yeah, KPIs, yeah. whatever. Like, sure. I mean, th- those things I have a place, but but that's not what we're talking about. No. But that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about this as a core component to servant leadership. Um, those other things are kind of nice, positive outcomes that can come, you know, that can be there for an organization to be more effective and efficient, productive, um, perhaps. But, but at the core of being committed to the growth of people, both in their personal and professional life, 
I think it to be authentic, you have to get much deeper than gap analysis, KPIs, and those sorts of things, because those are just so, I mean, th that's macro level, organizational level stuff that honestly in the day-to-day -day lives of most people is kind of nonsense and it's not meaningful. So if we really want to connect with our people and help them grow, we, we have to do that authentically at the personal level in my mind. Yeah, that authentic, you, you use that word authentic. That's a great word to use. Um, anytime I think of authentic, I also think of the word credible. Uh, people can see through a lot of, a lot of BS. Uh, your people are a lot smarter than sometimes a leader's ego or a manager's ego will let on. And so that word authentic stands out to me because I honestly believe that you can improve a lot of these assessments. If you actually improve your, help your people improve and you get, you get the best out of them. I, I don't know why, and maybe it's just because I'm, I'm small-minded in my thinking, but I just think that the better you can get your people, and I'm talking about physically, mentally, and spiritually, I think the, the, the more you can strengthen your people, the better you can make your organization. Um, and I think all of those things improve. And why do I think that? Well, because the research shows it, you know, over and over and over again, the research shows that as your people grow, they become more creative, more innovative. And, and when you look at some of the things that the successful companies that we hold up on pedestals, the successful organizations that we put on pedestals in this country, um, they, all, they all seem to do that. They all want their people to grow and they wanna make it so awesome um, that they want their people to stay. Uh, and it's worth getting your people to spread their wings and maybe they do leave, but the ones that stay are going to be the ones that are the future of this company. Look at what just happened with Amazon. You know, I mean, Jeff Bezos handed over his baby and I hear people constantly refer to him negatively. He's Lex Luthor, he's this, he's that, he's the other thing. But if you actually knew that Jeff Bezos was essentially living out of a car when he started Amazon, you know, he, he essentially changed manufacturing and shipping and logistics like you wouldn't believe and this guy and forgive me i forget his name right now because i'm thinking of other things uh, you might remember it but he's he's about to take the helm of one of the greatest organizations that's ever been been formed you know and yeah. he's been there for a long time tim cook was the same way with apple you know and tim cook's a freaking genius and so you, you look at you look at these people that come up come up through these organizations and they've grown within the organizations and it doesn't mean that it's all unicorns and puppy dogs and rainbows. It's not. You know, there's a lot of trials and tribulations. There's a lot of pain, but we also know that if you want to get to that level of success, there's a lot of pain, and there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of sacrifice. But it's that that authenticity of the organization, the credibility of the organization's leaders that cause people to say, listen, I want to stay here. I want to grow here. They're meeting my needs. I'm getting better. We can get this better. I don't know. I, I just I just think they're all interconnected. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. 
Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. You know, it's it's a deep-seated human need for most people, not everybody. Some people are are complacent and are are happy you know, they kind of arrive at a, at a point and they're happy writing that out. And I, I wish them every happiness. <laughs> um, okay. and, and that's fine. Peace and happiness. Enjoy your family. Um, but I think, you know, most people have a need to develop themselves, um, whether that's in their personal life with a hobby or new friendships, relationships, or maybe it's with a promotion or a new skill at work, whatever the case may be, you know, people like to develop themselves and they like to have opportunities to develop. And so if you want to attract and retain great people within an organization, you need to have a culture and, and a track record of helping people to do just that. Otherwise, people, when, if, if you're lucky enough to get the best people to come, they're going to be viewing it as just a pit stop along their career path, you know, and they'll, they'll put in a year or two and then move on to the next place because now they've got this new title under their belt. And that's, that's not what we're talking about. I mean, if you develop your people, and like you said, some people spread their wings and they leave and they go and they have a great career and they go somewhere else, that's, that's great, right? But we need to make sure as leaders that we, as we're developing our people uh, and committed to their growth, that we that we create legitimate pathways for their development. Um, legitimate, and that doesn't always mean a promotion. That doesn't always mean a new title. Um, but that does mean that they can learn new skills. They can build on their existing competencies, develop new capabilities, uh, perhaps work on a new stretch assignment, new, a new collaborative project, you know, innovate in new creative ways. Like those are the things people need and want. And if they're not getting it, the best people will leave because they're going to feel hollow inside. Like they, 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 they just will feel like something is missing. Um, and, and they'll get frustrated. So, I mean, like you said at the very beginning, it really is a simple notion and it's a win-win scenario because as a leader, I I'm committed to the growth of my people. The natural byproduct of that, when I do that sincerely and authentically is that I will get to know my people better I will have a better relationship with them. They'll trust me more. They will develop their skills because I'm invested in their growth, which means they will perform at a higher level that will feed back into my team and the organization as a whole. That will make me look good. So it's, I mean, it helps them. It helps you. It's, it's a win-win kind of a scenario. And it's really a no-brainer. Yet what we see so often is that leaders don't share that commitment to growth of people. Why do you think that is? If, if it seems so obvious to us, um, and I, I bet you, if you were to poll a random hundred, 
you know, organizational leaders um, and ask them, you know, to the extent that developing your people is important. I, I, they probably almost all say, if not all of them would say, yeah, this is a top priority. This is really important. But in the real world, when you get into the day-to-day um, grind of, of business, how many of those leaders are actually doing things every day to develop their people? I, I suspect it's a much smaller percentage, right? It is, yeah. So why, yeah. why do you think that is? Uh, <clears throat> so I went through um, Heskett's article in the Harvard Business Review. He published it in 2014 and he put it out on um, a blog and he let people comment on it. And this, and the, the title of the article was Why Isn't Servant Leadership More Prevalent? And one of the big things that I found when I took all of their, I took all of the replies and there was like a hundred and something. And I just, I put them in a document and I just did some basic qualitative thematic coding on it. It was ego. It was ego over and over and over and over again. It was nonstop. And, and, and it was, we love servant leadership. It's absolutely beautiful. What gets in the way? Ego. Corporate culture, ego, corporate culture, ego, competition, ego. That's really what it's all about. Uh, one of the big frustrating things that you get when you work with people that have attended like servant leadership conferences and read on these books and they're in the organization is these people that actually give a damn about the organization, usually middle management, um, not C-suite level. And um, <clears throat> they all say the exact same thing. My, I, I, I see this working in my organization, but I just, can't, I just can't get it to go. And it's always because of ego. Maybe it's because the leader didn't think about it. Um, maybe because it doesn't sink in. Uh, when I published that article, uh, uh, Green Soup Leadership, it was trying to get people to say, hey, maybe we need to stop calling it servant leadership when we do the whole consulting thing. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But that's really what it came down to. And these were, these are great comments that were, that, that was on that, on that website, very, very thoughtful um, individuals. And they all, that's really what it all came down to was it came down to ego. Uh, the, The second thing would be is it's just seen as a weakness. You know, you go to the conference, you stamp your ticket, you go back to your organization. Yep. I'm a leader. Yep. I've heard more people say I'm a servant leader. That's one thing that has shocked me in all these years that I've been writing and researching that, you know, this, this approach is I've heard more people say, I'm a servant leader. I'm a servant leader. And I'm like, it's like Seth Godin says, show me your bad, show me your bad writing. And I'm like, show me your servant leadership. And they just don't, they don't understand really, really what it is. Um, Like you said, it's not about position and title either. It really is about growth. It's about, Hey, we got this project going. You know, and I heard that you had a background in this and I just wanted to know if you're interested in, you know, leading it out or helping me lead it out or be my subject matter expert on something like that. If you can let down your guard for a minute, and it's also self-preservation because we've talked about this before, lean management has become anorexic in a lot of organizations. And so people are constantly afraid for their future, you know, um, but it, it's about realizing that as a team, you can accomplish more than you can as an individual and letting that ego down and saying, listen, this isn't about me protecting job security. This is about us making the organization better. 
but again, it, it really does. It, co it, it comes down to that concept of ego. Another thing that it is, and this is where my work gets into it with um, more alpha style professions that kick ass, break glass kind of a profession, is it can be seen as a weakness. Um, it's, well, I got here, so you need, you need to pull yourself up on your bootstraps too. And it's like, oh, it doesn't work either. You know, that, that, that whole approach doesn't work. Um, and so for me, that, that's the biggest issue is it's, it's, it's getting people past the skepticism and it's getting them to set their egos aside. And believe me, I actually believe in ego. I think the ego is a good thing. The ego is why you start a business. The ego is why you got a PhD. The, the ego, the ego is a, it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing, but it's when, it's when our ego is being driven in a Lamborghini by our id. It's like, we need to, we need to just pull that back a little bit and realize that you're better off as a team than you are an individual. Even a sniper doesn't work alone. They have a spotter with them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think about those leaders who, who may get caught up in whether it's self-preservation, whether it's their own personal insecurities uh, around helping those people around them develop. And so then they fear that maybe they'll be surpassed uh, or someone else will take their job or like, I think some of that's happening. Um, but what you mentioned just a moment ago, you know, this whole idea of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, this mentality, which I think is very common, uh, particularly in Western cultures is, is that really, how often is that really true? Like people, it's very rare. yeah, very pe rare. I mean, people have all sorts of different privileges and sometimes it's just pure dumb luck. Sometimes they have, you know, sometimes they just like, so someone who's in a, a C-suite position for them to say, well, you know, I got here due to my perseverance and grit and hard work. And I don't want to shortchange anyone by giving them a hand up. Um, I mean, they, they've, they've, if, if they were really honest with themselves and they looked back at their career, they would see all sorts of people giving them hands up. Right. Uh, and, in, and in some cases, not just a hand up, but like holding them up, right. A pedestal. Oh, above. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I, that mentality is one that I just, I, I tend to uh, cringe at because I don't think it's accurate for most people. It's, 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 I think it's exceptionally rare. And every now and then you do come across somebody who really just seems to have, have um, carved out a niche for themselves by sheer will, <laughs> you know, force of their own will. But, but most of the time, you know, we're relying on other people and we help each other. And sometimes that, that benefits us. Uh, sometimes that benefits those around us. So um, anyways, for, regardless of the reason, I think it's clear in the research that most leaders, despite good intentions and despite saying they think it's important, most leaders simply just don't do it as a part of their day-to-day -day practice. Maybe, maybe it's because they're overwhelmed in the day-to-day -day grind and they're putting out fires and they're not, they're not prioritizing, you know, the, the time and the effort that needs to go into developing people. It, that could be it too. I mean, there's just all these different reasons. And I suppose it, it depends on the individual, but the bottom line is if we want our team to be successful, if we want our organization to grow, then that only happens through the growth of our people. Um, and, and so it has to be, in my mind, it's like the number one focus of a leader is to develop their people. Um, everything else that they do, all the logistical things, the bureaucratic things, the administrative things, 
those serve a role and they need to get done, but none of that is really going to move the needle in terms of helping the organization to grow, to keep its competitive advantage, to innovate and to grow into new markets and such. Um, it's, right. it's, it's growing your people that's gonna do that. Right. The, I mean, it's like a cross section of what you're saying with Rollo May's A Cry for Myth and Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Like Malcolm Gladwell does this brilliant job of debunking the whole Horatio Alger argument of the pull yourself up by your bootstraps because there's all of these other factors that go into the success of people. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's all, so we know that, that, that is, that has been debunked. Um, yeah, it, 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 it drives me nuts because you are going to get, you are going to get more out of your people. Cause another thing that happens when people notice that you actually give a damn about them and you want them to be better, they actually start caring back. <laughs> You know, it's it's like funny, they, right? <laughs> yeah, like they actually care. They end up caring about you too. You're like, wow, you legitimately give a damn about me. Um, and people who fail and don't have, of course, there's always there's always aspects of you know laziness with some people. We see that we see that with a lot of people, privileged kids, you know, where they're just you're like, oh my god, you had everything handed to you, and you're just a complete turd. Um, but for the most part, there are other things. And man, when you can get when you can get things jump started for people, what you can get out of them is amazing. I was on a talk the other day, and I brought up one of my um, cultural heroes that's out there, and is a man by the name of Jeffrey Canada, um, who started the Holland Project, uh, and he's proven exactly that. It's that when you can when you can take away some of the burdens that are put on people based upon the rungs in which they find themselves on the socioeconomic ladder, they can shine. You know, these kids shine and they do amazing things. And you can only imagine what you can do with workers. Um, the frustration is though with corporate culture though, the whole thing about self-preservation and holding on, that is definitely a corporate culture issue. We see that in organizations constantly. Um, and that's just not that's just not anecdotal. I've actually had conversations with people that have told me straight up, I understand this process and it's my job security because nobody understands this process. And I'm like, oh my God, the fact that that has to exist, you know. Yeah, and I, I see it in organizations a lot too. Um, and it, it doesn't need to be senior level management or leadership. But like a lot of times there's some random person that, is kind of like the, the, the things funnel through them. For some reason in the bureaucratic system, things have to run through them, which gives them a disproportionate amount of control and power, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, yeah. Even though they don't have like a high position or, or a, you know, uh, a lot of, of, of uh, formal power, they have a lot of informal power and people have to keep them happy. Otherwise they can gum up the works and they can cause delays and so on and so forth. And, and yeah, it, that comes back to some people just really reveling in that kind of power, but other, it's also just job security and, or, you know, a failure for people to adapt and innovate and adopt new technologies oftentimes is exactly that as well. Cause they see, Oh, now there's a new computer program that can like do 80% of what I was doing in my job. 
um, and they, they resist, even though that's probably what's better for the organization. And frankly, probably better for them if they can reskill and upskill and learn how to use that software and then leverage their position to do more strategic things, right? Rather than just doing these automated functions. Um, but it's fear, it's fear of the future. So I get, I get that, but th those are the types of things we need to try to break down. And as a leader, I would hope that if I have people on my team that have those, if, if that's a fear-based approach, right? So if, if I have people on my team that have those types of fears, I would hope that I could reassure them you know, through the development of their on, you know, the ongoing development of their skills, that there will be a place for them in the organization, um, as long as they continue to learn and grow. And I will help them to do that. That's my job, help you to learn and grow. And you, you do your part, I do my part, there will be a place for you. Uh, and, and that's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. The, when, when you were talking about the whole change thing and losing the job, there was, we were, we were walking down um, in Vegas. I can't remember where the hell we were. We were in one of the casinos where like all of the stores and shops and we were just, we were just passing through and we walked by this one area and people were all sitting around having drinks. And it, it was this like neon bar kind of a thing. The bartender was a robot. The bartender was this arm that you put your order in. Now imagine, imagine somebody's down there who happens to be a bartender, maybe even a bar manager for a successful place somewhere in America. They're on vacation with their, with their better half and they're just walking through and they see something like that. That's going to put you into an existential crisis. You're like, that's my future. And so what people at the top, you know, who are in leadership positions, that's not going to be outsourced. Okay. That job isn't going to go away. But for the people down below that are listening to all of this stuff and they're looking at AI and they're watching these videos, I can't imagine what a dog thinks when he sees a robot dog. He's like, I'm not, I'm not, not going to have to feed me anymore. Why the hell would they have me? So that concept of self-preservation is huge. And you as a leader, in order to meet the needs of your followers and have that commitment to their growth, your commitment to their growth needs to be open and saying, listen, we want a long-term relationship with you and we think you're great for this organization. And right now you're doing this, but in the future, we want to make sure that you can do this, this, and this, because overall you're just a, you're a great person to have around. Yeah. And if you truly value your people, uh, they will feel valued by you. They will be more willing to commit to their ongoing development. Uh, it's just reciprocal and it, mm -hmm. it's, it's an ongoing benefit to everybody. Well, Eric, the time has flown by. Uh, we're about out of time. Uh, wow, I, really, yeah, I really appreciate the conversation today. Before we close, I just want to give you a chance to give the last word and then we'll uh, part ways for today and uh, pick this back up in a, a week or two. Uh, just remember when somebody asks you really what the essence of servant leadership is, it's to meet the needs of followers so they can grow. <laughs> That's it. And don't Perfect. try to get any more heady than that. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you, Eric. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And I encourage listeners, you know, to think about um, what you're doing to develop your people. And not just in the abstract, like, yes, I think that's a, an, an important idea. But like, really, in, in reality, each and every day, what are you doing to develop your people and put together an action plan? Um, and it, you can start simple, um, just commit to doing that. And it will pay huge dividends for you as a leader, for your people individually and professionally, and for the organization. Thanks everyone for joining us. As always, I hope you stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day, and I hope you have a great week.
we are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.